IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast presented by Insurance Business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first edition of the global insurance industry podcast, IB Talk in 2021. I'm your host and insurance business managing editor, Paul Lucas, and hopefully your year is taking off, flying high, just generally moving in the flight direction. Uh, Please excuse the awful puns. They are just to introduce a great guest. Yes, at a time when the aviation industry has been plunged into turmoil by the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, not to mention the return of a national lockdown here in the UK, uh, I'm delighted to have as our guest today a man who has been navigating clients in the right direction for more than a decade. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Gallagher Aerospace, Peter Elson. Uh, Peter, welcome to IB Talk. Well, good morning, Paul, and, uh, and Happy New Year. I, I don't think I can compete on, on puns, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll certainly be uh, very happy to answer all the questions you have, and very pleased to be here this morning. I might have a couple more lined up for later, Peter, but um, let's, let's delve, delve into the sector and its challenges shortly. Uh, but first of all, Tell us how you got into the industry. I, I believe your first role was with JLT. Uh, well, actually, I go back a little bit further than that. But so, how did I get into the industry? Well, I, I was very fortunate that my, my dad was in the city, and, and while I was studying at university, uh, he helped me to get a, a summer job with an insurance broker. Uh, and uh, that was a great opportunity to get first hand experience of the industry, um, understand something about working in Lloyd's, and, and whether that would be potentially a a sector to consider for my, my future career, if, of course, anyone would have me. Um, so anyway, I, I, went, I went back to university. I uh, graduated and, and came out, uh, probably like a lot of people, fit for nothing uh, much more than socialising and sleeping. Uh, so I spent about a year travelling uh, travelling a bit and doing various jobs. For example, uh, I worked at a hospital operating a, a bouncy castle for sick and disabled children, and that was, that was great fun. Uh, I was also a, a, a pharmacy porter for a while, and and uh, actually, I met my. That, that's when I met my my uh, my wife uh, when I was doing that job. Uh, she was a children's nurse, so it was probably my. Uh, I guess I should say my most successful job ever in that respect. Um, but after a, after a year or so, my my um, bank manager called up with me and uh, felt it'd be a good idea. This was in days before student loans, by the way. He thought it'd be a good idea if I paid off the overdraft I'd racked up. So I needed to think about a. A proper career, and and having having genuinely enjoyed my previous summer job in the city, I, I applied to a few uh, insurance brokers, and uh, I was very fortunate to be invited to uh, some interviews. Um, actually, the first interview uh, I, I had, uh, I recall vividly, it seemed to be going pretty well up until the point when the interviewer said, "Oh, uh, but by the way, this role is for a, a fluent Spanish speaker." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I wasn't, <laughs> but uh, he went on to say, uh, "So you do speak Spanish, don't you?" And uh, and in a in a rare, uh, rarely inspired moment, I, I, I replied, uh, uh, "No mucho." And uh, the, what was extraordinary about that was that uh, I, mean, I, I, well, I suppose recruitment was, was less rigorous uh, in those days than perhaps it is today. But that that answer seemed to satisfy the requirements. Uh, and uh, I was called back for a second interview, <laughs> but, but uh, happily, happily, before that progressed, uh, I'd had another interview and been offered a job with a company called Leslie & Goblin, uh, which is one of the many, many heritage companies that later went 
into uh, into Aon and uh, made Aon what it is today, I guess. Um, and I started there as a junior broker working on airlines, uh, aerospace manufacturers, uh, airports, and uh, general aviation. And so that was really the how I, I came to be uh, in this in- industry. And, uh, you know, it's been an industry I, 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 I genuinely uh, love. It's given me huge opportunities and uh, a really rewarding career. Yeah, and you've obviously held a, a sort of a host of roles uh, focused in, in, in aerospace in, in general ever since then. Um, what sort of led you down that route in particular? Was it, was it love at first flight? <laughs> there we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, um, I, I, like, like most poor people, I'm, I'm fascinated by flight. I, 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 and unlike some people, uh, I also enjoy travel. I enjoy business travel. Uh, I enjoy flying. Um, and I've said that insurance has provided amazing opportunities for me to uh, journey around the world to see uh, lots of things I probably wouldn't have had a chance to see in another career and meet lots of very interesting people from different cultures and backgrounds. But uh, I have to admit, I, I'm not a plane spotter uh, I'm, and I'm not a space technology geek. I'm an economist by education and uh, commercial rather than engineering by orientation but um, I think uh, yeah the uh, working in aerospace working with uh, airlines working with uh, with um, uh, space operators these are all all areas which I'm very interested in and I'm sure a lot of people are too. Yeah, and it, it, in fact, in your roles at JLT, of course, you became the chief operating officer. You were the global head of space. I mean, if we can look at that sort of space area for a moment, I mean, that has to be a fascinating area to, to get involved with. How did something as a specialist as that become a specialism for you? Well, uh, actually, um, I suppose, like a lot of things, uh, it's an opportunity that just came uh, in some ways, out of the blue, um, and um, uh, it was an opportunity that uh, uh, was attractive, and one where I said yes, uh, yes to. Um, so what, what had actually happened was that I, 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 I was been working at Aon, and uh, at some point I, I left to work uh, at a smaller broker, and, and after not enjoying it very much, uh, I was very fortunate to be asked by Aon to come back and uh, shift my focus from aviation to space. Aviation and space have sat alongside each other um, historically in the industry, both from the uh, with the brokers and with the uh, insurers. So but anyway, uh, space sounded like uh, like fun, and so I accepted and, uh, and had a really wonderful period learning about spacecraft and rockets and, and doing business with uh, many extraordinary, uh, clever, and talented people. So uh, really, it was, um, it was an unexpected... Uh, opportunity that arose for me but uh, one that uh, looked exciting and and has been exciting yeah I, I want to talk a little bit more about that particular sector with you a little bit later but obviously you became um, the CEO of aerospace at JLT specialty and of course that particular arm um, was was snapped up by Gallagher on the back of the the marsh JLT merger um, you're now the CEO of aerospace at Gallagher so how was it to, to make that jump across? Was it a difficult transition? Well, it's been a massive jump for me and for all of my colleagues and a, and a, and a hugely demanding, but at the same time, exciting transition. Uh, I was very flattered 
to have been selected to be the CEO of what was expected to be the combined JLT and Marsh Aerospace team. And, and in fact, I started working on the, uh, the integration of businesses. Uh, but in truth, I, I was very worried about how well it was going to work for our people and for our clients. Uh, I'd have to say that Marsh is a great company, and it would have been a huge privilege to be part of that business. However, the organization and culture looked very different from JLT, uh, and I wasn't convinced the transition would, would really suit our people. So when I got a call to see the group CEO, Dominic Burke, uh, one Friday afternoon and was told that the European Commission had ruled that Marsh would have to sell uh, the JLT aerospace business, uh, it really did feel like an answer to prayer. Um, I don't think I've ever been so pleased to be the subject of a regulatory intervention. And <laughs> again, but um, uh, at that time, um, Dominic asked me and my senior colleagues uh, whether we thought about where we'd like to go if this happened, and uh, we said um, we said yes. Fun enough, it had crossed our minds, and uh, our strong preference was uh, Gallagher. Uh, the reason we chose Gallagher, by the way, was that we saw a, a really good fit for our people and a strong platform for our clients. The, the, the culture looked attractive, like-minded leadership, very solid ethics, and all, all these sort of things. So um, anyway, at that time, calls were made the same day. We made a pitch to Gallagher first thing the following Monday morning, and uh, fortunately, uh, Gallagher decided it liked the look of us as much as we liked the look of them. And and the deal was done incredibly quickly in about two weeks. So yeah, it, but it's been it's been an intense, really intense, but very rewarding transition. Moving all of our people in offices around the world, systems, clients, premises, and everything else to support our trading, which which spans something like ninety countries, and clients in around thirty subsectors, from airlines to manufacturers, airports, infrastructure, corporate and private flying, rockets and spacecraft. Um, and I have to give credit to Marsh in facilitating on their side a very smooth process. And more importantly, uh, Gallagher has lived up to pretty much everything we hope for. It's uh, a great company, great people, uh, and in my view, occupies a space in the market where it is, it's uniquely positioned right now uh, with some of the changes we're seeing in the industry. Um, so yeah, it's been huge demanding, but... The, uh, the Gallagher team has been amazing in, uh, in helping us transition into a transition across. Um, and it's been a, a extraordinary success. We've brought our people, brought our clients. And I don't think uh, anyone's seen any, any interruption or, or dip in the, the, you know, the quality of service uh, or the delivery that we've been able to uh, uh, achieve for our for our, our clients. Well, you mentioned that uh, you know it's a sort of a unique time for the industry, and and let's look then a little bit. Um, obviously, when we talk about the past year, we we kind of have to start with with COVID. Um, we all know the difference that the pandemic's made to to flights and, and and air travel in general. And there's obviously been a huge financial impact. But talk to us about the impacts that that you've seen that that have been part of your perhaps day to day job. Well, for our, for my day to day job, you know the uh, we're you know, we, we, we have, I mean, fabulous clients and, and, uh, you know, and uh, many of them have been with us for, for a long, long time. So, um, 
you know, uh, we're we're here to support those clients, and and so in the last uh, you know, the the last uh, ten months or so, um, we've been really focused on making sure that we did everything possible to to support them through this this uh, this crisis for the for the industry. Um, what we did very early on, by the way, was that uh, before we got into lockdown in the early March uh, last year, uh, we. You know, we, we've seen some of these sort of issues in the past, not not on this scale, not not like this, but uh, something with you know with uh, with uh, SARS and other and other uh, um, other uh, issues which have uh, affected the industry in a more perhaps on a more regional basis than it has in, in the case of COVID nineteen. But so we set up a, a, a task force very early on, uh, looking at all aspects of our operations and preparing. Uh, to make sure that we were able to deploy the best of, of, of Gallagher through whatever came with us. Um, and so we set out the plan, we set out the strategy, we executed that, 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 that strategy. Um, uh, shifting to remote working, uh, you know, again, great credit to, uh, to, uh, to Gallagher. Uh, we, we prepared well for that. We, so uh, remote working uh, was uh, implemented pretty much overnight. All of our all of our people uh, were have been uh, supported with uh, for homeworking. Uh, we're, uh, we're we're actually getting used to a, a more agile uh, form of working anyway. We were doing that before the pandemic, so uh, so we were a little bit along that track. But uh, it's been enormously demanding. Uh, you know, we, we're accustomed to being in the same place with each other and having those interactions, having to reinvent the way that we deal with our clients, with the market, and with each other has been uh, has been uh, very challenging, but it's been a challenge which we've uh, we've met. Um, again, I don't think, uh, I'm pretty confident that, that not one of our clients has seen any any dip in service or any change in adverse change in service throughout that process. Uh, so uh, we've had to uh, we've had to think differently about the way we we, we operate. Um, we were very keen to make sure that uh, rather than stepping back at this point in time, that we step forward. So actually, we we stepped up our interaction with the market. We we increased our presence with uh, with insurers. Uh, we increased our communication with clients. We. Uh, we reinvigorated our focus on new business at a time when received wisdom was that nothing would move. You know, no business would move when while well, things were locked down. Actually, the opposite was true. We saw a lot of uh, a lot of clients looking at their suppliers, looking at their brokers, looking at their their uh, their carriers, um, particularly at a time when both they were stressed and the market was hardening. Uh, and so we have seen uh, quite a lot of new business in this period uh, coming into uh, to, to Gallagher. Um, so uh, it's been a it's been a uh, you know a, 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 a an unprecedented time, but one where the the, the team has absolutely stepped up and uh, made sure we've done everything we can do to help our clients through, because at the end of this. We need a client base, and we need the clients, uh, our, our clients, to be to to recover. Uh, from our, from our perspective, uh, we uh, we want to continue doing everything we can to 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 help them. And, and talk to us about you know the the aviation industry itself. Uh, I you know I guess there's been a lot of changes in terms of risk management elements here. Um, 
I would assume there are a lot of new processes in place. Yeah. So huge challenges for operators. First and foremost, financial survival through an incredibly difficult period of, of restriction and lockdown. But but flight has continued, albeit on a hugely reduced basis. Um, although I mean, some parts of the world, traffic has in fact substantially recovered already, far more than perhaps it has in, in, in Europe. Um, and for the flights that have continued, there's been a, a great deal to overcome, such as, you know, the tracking the uh, myriad of constantly changing restrictions implemented by governments around the world, standing down flights at a moment's notice, rebooking and refunding passengers, adopting new precautions to protect passengers from COVID on flights or as they as they make their way through airports. Also, you know, some of that, you know, the, the regular operational stuff has been uh, impacted. You know, airlines have had to make sure that their, their, their pilot training and their crews are up to date and that uh, the, the maintenance is taken care of in, in a world which has changed and where the, you know, the, uh, the normal operating procedures have had to, be, had to adapt very quickly. Um, so it's been a, it's been a, uh, uh, an intense period for, for, our, for our clients um and uh, it's going to continue to be an intense period for for as long as the uh, you know covid and lockdown remains with us which hopefully will not be not be too much longer um but also you know of course you know insurers have had to had to uh have been very focused on how well the airlines are coping operationally with those challenges um as well as some changes in risk profile for example uh, you know, we've seen a massive accumulation of uh, insured value uh, in uh, aircraft that are usually dispersed around the global flying. Uh, those aircraft have been parked on the ground in, in great concentrations uh, at, at airports with um, hugely increased exposures to things like natural catastrophes such as windstorm or terrorist incidents, these sorts of things. So the risk profile uh, has changed. It hasn't gone away. Uh, and both the uh, clients and uh, and the insurers have had to uh, had to uh, cater for those uh, th- those changes, and they've catered very well. And, and what's been the impact on claims? Because uh, I suppose theoretically, people might think, well, if there's fewer flights, there's got to be fewer claims. But judging by all those risk elements that you've described, I'm imagining that might not be the case. Well, uh, absolutely. So, uh, in general, yes, of course, we think. Fewer flights, fewer, fewer claims, uh, and to some extent that's true, but not proportionally. Uh, we've st- still seen, uh, you know, a, a level of attritional losses. You know, those sort of bumps and scrapes that happen uh, from time to time. Uh, yes, of course, those those have been reduced, but sadly, uh, there's also been quite a few fatalities this year. Um, and uh, we go back to the uh, the Ukraine loss, which was really before the uh, you know, COVID-19 pandemic. But also since then, you know, Pakistan and Air India have both had uh, catastrophes. Um, uh, and uh, it's true to say that overall the industry safety has been improving a lot and claims are expected to be down in 2020. But they're not down to the extent that, uh, that uh, uh, stacks up proportionally with the reduction in, in flight activity. Um, or, or possibly the reduction in in uh, in insurance premiums uh, that has uh, been seen over the last year. And and has there been a, a sort of a different impacts for you know cargo compared to passenger flights? Uh, absolutely, uh, cargo airlines and, and and Gallagher represents an outstanding 
uh, cargo operators. Cargo, cargo airlines have stepped up to, to keep uh, supplies fluid around the world, which has been an absolute lifeline to all of us through the, through the pandemic. So, yeah, in fact, you know, whilst others have been, of course, been struggling, struggling enormously, cargo airlines have been thriving. And, uh, and we expect that will be uh, continuing for some time. And I know this is probably the, the million dollar question, probably almost impossible for you to answer, given all the uncertainty right now. But how do you see the market shaping up in 2021? I mean, obviously, there's still so much uncertainty. Is it possible for, for you to plan ahead? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, so, yes, there, there is much uncertainty. And, we, and we, we've seen significant hardening in 2020 and, and uh, much more demanding placements than at any time in probably the prior 10 or so years. Um, but that's our job as a broker, to make sense of the market and bring certainty and value to our clients. And, and now, more than ever, when our clients need a support uh, to, to navigate through all this, um, it, it's it's incumbent on us to uh, to, uh, to to make sense of uh, of uh, the uh, the present and and the future what's coming down the road. So uh, insurers are looking to consolidate the, you know, the, the the price corrections they finally achieved in 2020. Uh, that was after a decade, by the way, of declining rates and and losses across all segments. Um, uh, but we're going to be um, continuing to uh, strongly advocate for our clients. And what we want to see is a sustainable long-term approach. We think, in our view, uh, there was a price correction in 2020 and to some extent in, in uh, 2019 uh, justified. Uh, of, uh, of course, you know, we, we need insurers to be there. We need the supply there in order to satisfy the requirements of our, of our, of our, our plans. Uh, and insurers have been uh, meeting losses for some for some time. So things, things needed to, to change. But we think that um, what we'd like to see is a is a uh, a, a moderate response uh, in 2021. Uh, we think that uh, we're going to see the recovery of the airline sector um, and. Uh, now, this pandemic's gone on way longer than, and deeper than anyone expected um, back in March last year, uh, but it will recover. Um, and uh, so uh, we think that the, you know, the, the, the technical prices that uh, insurers are now, have now achieved put them in a better position. And if, uh, if uh, we then factor in increased exposures uh, that should lead to the uh, the expansion of the, of the premium base that uh, I think insurers are, are looking for or need. Uh, we would uh, strongly discourage uh, insurers for pushing on uh, harder and faster with further uh, price increases in uh, or technical rate increases in in 2021. Um, we think uh, we we think that um, uh, the market is in better shape than it has been for many, many years. Uh, and, uh, and therefore, um, it's well-placed to, to serve the client base uh, as it stands today. Obviously, you've given us a little bit of a advice for the insurers there, but what about for, for the brokers operating in this space? Can you tell us a little bit about maybe the sort of questions that, that clients are asking Gallagher right now and, and, and how brokers can, can address those questions? 
Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, well, clients have been primarily worried about costs and how can they, they achieve alleviation, return premiums on current policies and, and renewals that deliver all the cover they need with the most you know, effective structures and pricing. That's that's no different from any other time in one sense, but it is right now because the uh, the client base is so stressed by their uh, their environment uh, and the need to uh, get through this and survive. Um, and so actually a lot, of, a lot of clients are asking questions about their brokers. Do they have the right representation in the market? What creative ideas can their broker develop with insurers? Uh, are they getting the right quality of security? Uh, how can they be confident their cover and pricing are as good as they could be? Um, this is a natural consequence, I think, of, of when uh, the market hardens um, because hard markets put greater demand on specialist capability you know, compared to where the, when the market is soft, when capacity or when supply is abundant and, and frankly, less, less skill is needed to get not necessarily the best outcomes, but what look like good enough outcomes. Right now, the uh, client, the, our clients, the, uh, the airlines in particular, they need the very best that can, that can be uh, can be achieved in in the, in the market, um, and uh, the uh, and so I think actually uh, uh, clients are are looking for uh, for uh, brokers to demonstrate the quality of their delivery, the quality of their service. Um, uh, and they are reviewing uh, their their agents and their carriers because uh, also because of the disruption to the broker sector. I mean, the you know we saw the you know the Marsh acquisition of JLT, the new entrants that subsequently come into the market. Uh, many people have moved uh, broking house in the last uh, last two years, um, and uh, and now we have the uh, Aon merger with Willis. All of these things have introduced a new dynamic and. And really force clients to, to make us make a choice. Uh, do they stay with their corporate brokers, uh, even though their teams may have been depleted uh, and their relationships change, or, or do they take a leap of faith with some of the new and unproven brokers uh, climbing, perhaps climbing mountains involved in, in setting up from nothing? Um, or is there a third alternative, an established broker which offers more certainty and its resources, its team, stability, track record, and, and you know. A, I would obviously argue that Gallagher is standing pretty well in that, in, in, in that position, but uh, but uh, generally, uh, I, I think the uh, you know when we have a distressed client base, when we have a hardening market, it is absolutely natural that, uh, that the clients are are looking for and demanding the demonstration of, of more value, more creativity, um, and uh, and. Uh, quality service, um, and they should do. They should do that always. But um, I think the the current environment is putting more emphasis on on, on that, um, and uh, causing them to question. I think uh, you know where can they best be served in this in this environment. Yeah, I think the the sort of the changes in the broker market are probably worth a worth a podcast of their own. But um, I I do want to just change pace with you for a moment because I I mentioned earlier that I'd like to just ask you a very quick question about the the space sector as well because it is it is so interesting. Um, the clientele in the market is has really changed, hasn't it? From from sort of geostationary operations to this these new space clients as they're called. Um, can you explain some of the changes to us? Yeah, sure. So, so, so we're seeing a shift from uh, large, expensive uh, spacecraft in geostationary orbit 
which are which are really serving communication needs, you know, for telephony, TV, these these sorts of things. Uh, we, and we're going into uh, to uh, much smaller hardware uh, constellations of expendable uh, low Earth orbit uh, spacecraft. So that is a it's um it's a it's a shift of, of emphasis. It's not, by the way, it's not an overnight change. This is an evolution, um, and alongside the you know the the emergence of these uh, smaller, more expendable, more quickly replenishable replenish, uh, spacecraft, uh, we're seeing the an evolution in the in the launches. A lot of smaller launches coming to the industry, and even with larger rockets like these, uh, like the SpaceX Falcon series. Innovations in reusability. All this is about. All, all this is about um, uh, the commercial opportunity of lower cost access to orbit, and alongside the continued um, expansion of demand for communications services, and also other services such as remote sensing. Uh, uh, GPS type services and, and all those sorts of uh, uh, things that you can do uh, with space technology, um, but I would uh, but I would say there's still a lot of demand for the, the larger geostationary communications spacecraft, and that's been probably more robust than some might have uh, might have feared. Uh, the ultimate outcome isn't isn't yet clear. One of one of the one of the features of this evolution is that uh, uh, when uh, we go into new technology and to, uh, trying to create new demand. It's not entirely clear how, how, when, and where that will uh, materialise. So it's changing. However, I, I expect that there will be there'll be more room for these technologies to coexist for some time to come. So the old space is going to be with us for a, a while, and the and the new space will emerge, but probably a little bit slower and over a longer period uh, that, than it expected. But it's a very exciting, and I mean, what's exciting about it is is to see, you know, the the opportunity for uh, a lot more connectivity uh, in in service, the the opportunity for people for space uh, tourism that, that that's emerging. Uh, you know, th these sort of things can uh, really uh, capture the um, capture the imagination and offer some uh, some amazing uh, commercial opportunities for. Those operators uh, who are brave enough to make the sort of investment required in the space industry, which is which is a lot. It's, it's not a cheap industry to get into. Yeah, I can definitely imagine that. Um, before we wrap up, Peter, um, when your head isn't in the clouds, so to speak, um, I note that you're chairman of the board at Hope for Justice as well. Can you tell us a little bit about this cause? I'd be pleased to tell you a little bit about uh, Hope for Justice. Uh, it, it's a fantastic charity that's fighting the terrible injustice of slavery, uh, trafficking, and, and exploitation around the world, including our, our own doorsteps, in fact. Uh, the, the charity operates in Asia, Africa, Europe, um, the UK and Norway mainly, and, and, the, and the United States. And, and we help victims in all aspects of the terrible circumstance which they find themselves from prevention to rescue, restoration, and uh, advocacy. I, I'm, I'm really privileged to, to chair the, uh, the boards of the, of the charities in the group uh, and to work with an outstanding CEO who's, um, who's a guy called Ben Cooley. He's a tremendous inspirational leader, by the way, and, and one who has brought amazing vision, strategy, and, and organizational skill. And he's got a great executive team and workforce. They're doing some 
great work, really, really good work, changing people's lives uh, around the world. Uh, just one part of the operation, I mean, lots of operations in lots of different areas, as I mentioned, in, in rescue, restoration, advocacy, all these things. But just one, one part of the operation I'll maybe highlight uh, in this conversation, which is uh, our slave-free alliance uh, uh, division, which is working with companies in the, here in the UK, actually, to uh, help them identify and eradicate modern slavery and exploitation in their operations and their supply chains. Uh, in the UK, and, and this is being adopted in other countries as well, not only is it... it, it is this becoming a has become a a, uh, a legal requirement for companies to show compliance, companies above a certain scale, but it's also a really uh, a very real business risk, um, and we've seen uh, we've seen companies massively damaged when they get things wrong. Um, notably, there was a very well publicised case in the last uh, last year of a big big rate retailer uh, whose uh, share price in fact plummeted overnight in the wake of uh, publicity around poor practice in the way that it was uh, uh, its employment and uh, and uh, the uh, the exploitation of, of, of labor that was going on and so we're, we're, we're growing the chance is growing enormously uh, we're helping more and more victims every year around the world uh, and uh, we're, we're going to try and continue doing that until we see the end of end of these uh, these injustices but it's a, it's a great charity and it's been really a, a, a hugely rewarding uh, role for me um, uh, to see uh, to see the you know the passion of the uh, of the team that's involved in this in, in our various locations uh, and to uh, perhaps to be able to help with that little bit along the way yeah, sounds like a great course, Peter, and I hope that maybe you know, some of our listeners might be keen to, to learn a little bit more about it. If they want to reach out to you, um, how can they get in touch? I'd be delighted if, if people would, would get in touch. I, I, I can be reached uh, through LinkedIn or, uh, or indeed through, uh, please send me an email. Uh, and my email address is uh, Peter uh, underscore Elson, and that's spelled E-L-S-O-N, uh, at AJG.com. So that's Peter underscore Elson at AJG.com. And I'd be delighted to hear from people. Thank you. Peter, I'm, I'm thrilled to have had you as our first guest of the new year. Um, I hope 2021 is going to be a great one for you and, and also for Hope for Justice as well. Um, to everybody listening, happy new year. Have a wonderful year ahead and join us next week on IB Talk. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts.